Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 oh my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. The team at Cobra Golf are set to introduce additions to its collection of king putters, making the offerings available in a sleek black colorway, the perfect complement to the limited edition black LTDX drivers and king black wedges. The lineup of black putters includes both king 3D printed and king vintage series models, along with two new mallet styles, the king Cuda and Cuda 40. All King Collection putters come standard with the Cobra Superstroke Traction Tour 2.0 grip and KBS Tour 120 shaft. The new additions to the King 3D printed and vintage series will be available from July this year. For more information on the entire King family of products, visit cobragolf.com. This is the 19th Tee Podcast, Kieran Marsh and Nathan Drudy back with you post the return of the Australian Open Drudster. And we're going to, uh, just off the very top here, <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna start off with positives because yeah. uh, you know there's there's plenty to get through. It was a fantastic uh, amalgamation of the men's, the women's, and the All Abilities Championship across both the Victoria Golf Club and Kingston Heath over the weekend. I think it was a display of the very best of the sand belt and the Australian, I suppose, golf landscape has to offer. But mm. I think there are some things uh, that we will need to discuss at the back end. And I know did a bit of research today. Uh, so fun fact, I think you'd have to cast your mind back to. Boxing Day of 1999 uh, to see an Australian come off a longer run than I think you're going to come off tonight. And that was the <laughs> debut of Brett Lee against India uh, that year. Uh, took a five for in his debut. Uh, but I, oh, he did, yeah. Took a five for in his debut against the Indians on Boxing Day in 1999. Brilliant. Uh, I get the sense that based on some of our conversations over the weekend, oh. you may in fact be coming off a longer run than Binger <laughs> this evening uh, with a few people in, in your sights. So we will, um, off the top though, uh, speak about uh, Adrian Marunk. Uh, the first Polishman to win the Stonehaven Cup to be crowned the Australian Open champion. And I think quite impressive uh, coming down the stretch to uh, withhold not just the charge of Adam Scott, but probably more importantly, the momentum of the home crowd because mm. he, he he really had to, there was no one there that wanted him to win with the greatest respect to Adrian. Absolutely nobody. Uh, I didn't see any Polish flags being waved around there at Victoria. Uh, he had to do it against uh, both the momentum of his playing partner, but also uh, the momentum of the crowd around him. Yeah, well, it, it was quite exciting for for most of the final day. And then, yeah, just all sort of, I don't know, kind of unfolded very quickly. And, and uh, you know, as we like to say, got just couldn't, had, had the Mendoza effect, did, did Adam mm. Scotty. He couldn't stop, um, unfortunately. But yeah, I think it was interesting. Yeah, it was it was funny seeing an a non Australian win the Australian Open, and and it's the second time now that it's happened in three years. Obviously, Abraham Anson won in two thousand and eighteen, Spieth was sixteen fourteen, and and McIlroy was two thousand and thirteen. So, I, I don't know. I just you know because we don't we've only had one Australian Open that we've talked about on this show. I think because yes. given that the last two have been cancelled, so I don't know. I just yes. had this like weird sense in my head that. An Australian was going to win the Australian Open, and I was wrong. I was very wrong. It was a little deflating um, mm. in many respects uh, because you had a lot of, I think, uh, you know, potential there. Not just Scotty, but Min Wu certainly bucked his head 
um, particularly on Saturday with a 65 there in the third round mm. uh, and played, you know, well, not well enough, but well again on Sunday um, to keep himself in contention. Uh, and of course, Hayden Barron, who we'll get to a good friend of this uh, podcast has, you know, certainly changed his fortunes for 2023 with a T4 finish, but realistically it was all on Scotty uh, and, and we held, high hopes there for a period of time but to your point uh, they certainly were dashed in the, in the back nine in particular and credit to Adrian Marunk he, he finished well I mean 63 on Saturday and then a 66 he's only got uh, one round there over par and that was his opener so mm. really like in terms of the complete package um, on balance a, a really fine four days for the Polishman yeah and uh, as you said there it was the Saturday that set it up with the 63, just looking back at his scorecard here, just two bogeys and and a whole heap of uh, whole heap of birdies, particularly that front nine went out in 30 um, and, you know, was on on track to shoot 20 in the twenties um, until he bogeyed the, the par five ninth. And I think just to finish with an Eagle, the way he did as well, it was, mm. yeah, it was pretty impressive. Um, and it was funny. I, I think, uh, we mentioned last week, it was great to see that some of the European tour or DP world tour players actually coming down and playing the Australian open. And we met, we mentioned Adrian Moronk and um, I think from memory, I don't think he played super well. I, he might've even missed the cut last week, but yeah, just watching that first round, it was, you know, that back nine, three bogeys in a row. And I was like, Oh God, like this isn't, this isn't a great indictment of the DP world tour. And um Sure enough, he turned it around very, very quickly, and and as I said, highlighted by that Saturday sixty three, and held his nerve, uh, and you know, as you said, really had to fight the crowd as well because the crowd were right behind Scotty and and Min Woo being our two best hopes, uh, definitely going into the day anyway. So he catapults Marunk into the top fifty in the world, I believe, uh, for the first time in his career, and he's likely to finish the year there. I think around forty seven, forty eight, and a lot of what I've seen. Uh, post, uh, you know, end of the tournament throughout today is talk about him maybe putting himself in Ryder Cup contention. I always like this, you know, yeah. we're not all that far away, right? We're, we're under 12 months now and everything almost, um, irrespective of whether you're playing PGA Tour, European Tour, everything has Ryder Cup implications. Mm. It's one of the great things about the, the countdown to what is undoubtedly the best event in golf. Uh, but, you know, you pop up anywhere in the world, if you're a Polishman winning on the the, the Sandbells in Australia, they have Ryder Cup implications, Drew, yeah. and he seems to be entering the conversation. I couldn't think of a less relevant tournament for Adrian Moronk to win <laughs> to have Ryder Cup implications. Like, And there's no disrespect to the Australian Open, but no. to your point there, in 35-degree heat on the Sandbelt in a rock-hard course, I, I wouldn't have thought that's got any... Uh, any relevance to? I think it's Marco Simone next year. I was just, year a, that we're I was going just about to, to like, say. Yeah, I wouldn't have I'm thought so. Totally, I wouldn't have thought so. And and with due respect totally sure. to due respect to Adrian Morong, like I don't think he's going to be on the Ryder Cup team. Like I could probably no. assemble twelve to fifteen better players than Adrian Morong right now. Whether mm. some of those are eligible to play with the live <laughs> golf stuff, I I don't know. But uh, yeah, I uh, um. I don't want to take anything away from Adrian Moronk, but uh, yeah, I don't think he's playing Ryder Cup next year. No, I tend to agree, but he is our Australian Open champion and will be for at least another 12 months pending his return down under to defend next year. Uh, interesting, Drudes, 
um, before you, I suppose, moved down the leaderboard. Uh, one of the things I said at the top, uh, I think certainly one of the highlights of the weekend was was simply the advertisement of the sandbelt. Uh, mm. I mean, I think probably, uh, no, well, not probably, certainly not to the same extent as I think the President's Cup at Royal Melbourne back in 2019. Um, but any golf played on some of those courses, you know, Kingston Heath and Victoria are two of the best in the region. Mm. Uh, and when they get beamed to global audiences, um, who, to be fair, probably saw more of the golf than we did domestically uh, over the four days on volume. But, uh, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, and read um, some overseas golf commentary just again, uh, absolutely fawning over the sandbelt. So I read with interest, though, um, James Sutherland essentially allude to the fact that they would look to Sydney or New South Wales next year mm. um, in some way, shape, or form. So I, this is why people in James Sutherland's positions make these decisions, Roots, uh, and I'm sure it will become increasingly about the highest bidder uh, because that is the commercial nature of the sport, and we can't criticise that because it's something we've um, been critical of them for not doing um, mm. previously. But yeah, it's interesting that it's it's clearly our best golfing region, um, save for if you're going to take a tournament down to Tasmania. So I, I just wonder one year back, and we've seen how good uh, the golf was across both courses. Uh, why you'd be why you'd be immediately, literally, probably as the the final putt drops, you're already talking about taking it to New South Wales next year. Just I, I thought the timing was interesting. Yeah, I think. I, I think it's an interest. It's an interesting argument that we've probably had many times in it, and I refer back to the conversation that we had with Michael Clayton. Is that why would I care about the Australian Open here in Perth? We haven't had it since the seventies. The last time that we hosted it was at Lake Karen up here, which is still one of the top fifteen courses in the country. Um, and and I certainly understand the commercial nature of it, which we, we've alluded to many many times, as you as you rightly pointed out. I just think there's I, I understand the pros and cons behind both ways of let's take it around the country and and see how see what the uh, interest is like from from all interested parties in terms of state government in terms of crowds etc. I also understand the argument that it's hey let's take it to Sydney because we've got the highest population let's take it to Melbourne because I've got the best golf courses. I understand all of that and I, I don't really know what the position is where I land right now, but I agree with you that it was a fantastic advertisement for the Sandbelt and Victorian golf in general. Um, Rumours already circulating that Kingston Heath will host the President's Cup in 2028, uh, which will be fascinating to see if that comes to to light. I just, yeah, it's, it, it was one of those ones that I was sitting there over the weekend watching and going, like, how many West Australians are actually interested in this right now or South Australians are actually interested in in it when we call it our national open and it hasn't come here for 50 years. Mm. It's just, it's an interesting one. And I, you know, I think we'd obviously love to get some answers uh, or get some insight as to, to how these things work, but the underlying thing would be financial and commercial viability. It's, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's, I, I, I see both sides. What I would suggest is, I wouldn't agree with both um, the Open and the PGA Championship having an anchor tenant. I think mm -hmm. one needs to move around. Mm -hmm. I suppose my only criticism would be 
if we all agree, and I don't necessarily think there's any conjecture or argument that the Sandbelt is our best Gulf region, mm-hmm. um, then surely it should have the anchor of one of those and the other moves around. Agreed. And that in, in, is, is not at all critical of the PGA Championship, which was at Royal Pines for the better part of t- 10 years and mm-hmm. has now made a long-term commitment to Royal Queensland, uh, which is a fantastic course. But if we're going to be anchored anywhere, surely it's our premier golf region, um, whether that's the PGA or the Open, and the other becomes the travelling I shouldn't say circus, but that's the phrase, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and that is what goes around. Because I agree, like there are places, and it, it ends the conversation, you know, when we began to hear whispers of whom Live Golf was speaking with. Um, you know, there's no coincidence that there was, you know, clubs in Sydney and clubs in Adelaide and clubs in Western Australia and clubs, to be fair, in Southeast Queensland um, as well. It, it's it's regions that had, for the most part, been ignored. So you, the tour does have a job to manage its stakeholders around the country. I just think we've seen again, um, particularly for, you know, the PGA didn't get much overseas coverage. The Open did um, for whatever reason. And if, if that's going to be the case, then we've surely got to be putting our best foot forward in terms of what we broadcast to the world by way of golf regions. Yeah. And look, if it's the Australian Open that stays in the sand belt, then I'm in, entirely fine with that. You, you're absolutely right that maybe it is the PGA that needs to to travel around the country and mm. uh, and get uh, I guess all of Australia involved in it but it, again it talks to where the commercial money comes from I mean there was no no uh, secret that anyone watching the broadcast this week would have seen the absolute plethora of in your face you were smacked every which way with visit Victoria marketing and advertising to the point where it was kind of like i'd fuck off melbourne like i i don't want to come anymore i was i was i was in i'm not coming anymore like i get it you like sport um (laughs) so i understand that 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 the uh victorian government obviously paid a lot of money for for that event to be there and that's where the tour is gone and and maybe that's more of an indictment on where the tour is from a financial perspective in terms of who's going to cough up the most money is going to get going to get it and that's just how each of the individual state government relations are going to have to work if wa's yeah. got no interest in in throwing money at at the australian pga or at the australian open then what what hope have we got of bringing it over here if there is no incentive financially for it to move away from someone who wants to put their hand in their pocket. Very little. And you've surmised that incredibly well as per. Uh, <laughs> let's move down the leaderboard. Uh, Scotty, what, what have you made of, I mean, he does have uh, at least one more uh, outing, uh, Cathedral Invitational uh, mm. tomorrow. On, on right uh, now, first day. Yes, well, first day today, as we heard from the uh, the chairman and founder, David Evans, today was the member pro day. So members of Cathedral Lodge play with uh, their assigned pros, and then the pros carry their score over into tomorrow um, for the single-day event. Uh, obviously, the cumulative score across two days will be the winner. Uh, Scotty is there amongst a host of other um, stars. It's, mm. just, it's a great lineup, as we heard. Uh, that's his third outing. I'm pretty sure that's it. I don't think he's got anything more on. Uh, I would imagine he's heading back to the States. 
might stay on for Christmas, but probably heading off to the States after that. It's been it's been good. I mean, I think obviously the PGA wasn't lights out, um, but we saw some really, really good golf from him across mm-hmm. this this weekend. And we spoke about the fade out in the, the, the second nine on Sunday. Save for that, it was uh it was exciting for 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 a defined period of time. It was very exciting. Yeah, and and look, I said a similar thing about Leash last week that, you know, I think. Um, what are our expectations? Well, what are our expect expectations? But also, what is his role here? Like, obviously, he's here to compete and win, but him coming back is such a massive win for the tour in and of itself. Even if he missed the cut. Like he's he's serving a purpose by bringing crowds in. So him uh, him playing the way that he did over the past fortnight has been a massive win for for the tour. Um, two eagles on on the final holes in rounds two and three just to get the crowd a bit excited. But uh, yeah, obviously the it, it it wasn't like he played terribly. He made pars. It's funny, like you look at that back nine scorecard, he had one birdie and a double bogey and and it seemed like that he was never in control of his ball and maybe that stems back to that run at seven and eight where he made back-to-back bogeys. And yeah, I don't know. It was just, it felt deflating because Moronk was going the other way and he was kind of sinking. Um, So I think the writing was on the wall sort of early in that back nine. Um, as much as we didn't want it to be, but all in all, I mean, I take the I take his last two weeks as as a win. Oh, I think Huge win. Yeah, on face value. Yeah, I mean, I think I would probably I wouldn't say pushback. That's probably the right phrasing. I think he's still a little more competitive than Leash. It's not necessarily the criticism to Leash, but I think the the, the drop off's been a little more stark in that case. Uh when Scotty's driver is on, that seems to me like the the biggest Achilles heel at the moment. And it was he had the two way miss going at Royal Queensland, and it was bad. It was ugly. Um, but when it and when he's hitting the ball well off the tee, I think he's still absolutely got um, the approach game to compete on certain courses. Not everywhere in the world, certainly not everywhere on the PGA Tour. But there'll be weeks where he'll buck his head if he's if he's driving the ball well off the tee. So to come back and to get at least one of those performances out of him, uh, of the, the two big ones, and obviously we get Cathedral at the moment, but uh, to see him go on a run, I think, to your point, is uh, turning up's a win, absolutely, and he draws a crowd, but I think you reinforce that. In fact, you might turn curiosity into conversion by mm. performing well, mm. um, and, and I'm glad we saw him do that at least once across the fortnight because I think he's – Smithy's – caught our imagination and he's definitely taken the mantle but you know this is still our only masters winner mm. and he's he still holds a very special place i think in the heart of australian golf and yeah it means a lot to come back and perform well so good on him good on him i say Drudes. uh <laughs> minwoo lee yeah. uh t4 last week at right third this week uh, again uh, a, a huge saturday with a 65 Without, like, I, I, I said it last week. I, I love watching him play. There's something very unique about not just his golf, but just him, him in general, which I enjoy. This is about what I'd expect, though, and I think that's a good thing. It's not meant as a criticism. It should be seen as a compliment because I expect him now to come back. In fact, I might expect a little bit more. I expect him now to maybe convert 
and mm. win. Mm. So T4 last week, excellent. Outright third this week, great. Um, left wanting a little more because that's what he's capable of now. And we've seen that through some performances, uh, most most specifically on the European Tour this year. Yeah. Uh, interesting to note that he and Minji both finished at eight under par. Uh, when we were having that discussion last week as well. So uh, that's that's interesting. Um, no, uh, look, I, I entirely agree with you. I think he um, I think he was good this week. But I, mm. I probably thought that he would win one of these two. That's where my gut was kind of feeling. And I think now as, as we know, he has taken the steps forward that he has obviously with his wins, he's – been very competitive in in big events um so i think he he's not the in a way he is kind of like the young star the young kid we're kind of what's his ceiling we don't really know what he's capable of but in a way he's also past that and we're kind of expecting results now and i think it's Mm. it's tough like for us, well, it's not tough for us to sit here as armchair critics, but it's going to be tough for him, I think, in a lot of ways to go, well, there is a bit of expectation on me now to perform because we have been talking about Minwoo Lee for the best part of 10 years almost. Yeah. So, yeah, you're not wrong. No, you're not wrong. And I think, yeah, this year felt like a year where we thought maybe he takes the step up to the PGA Tour. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, not obviously by any means playing a full schedule or anything, but like certainly taking his opportunities and and getting himself into a handful of tournaments and maybe making a few cuts and and just starting to find his feet wasn't necessarily the case. Enjoyed some wonderful success, particularly through the Spanish loop of the European Tour. Mm-hmm. So I hope, like he'll, I imagine he'll play out a bunch of tournaments. Um, you know, we go on a break now for a period of time till the new year, but there's some lucrative tournaments on the other side. Mm. Um, and that end of season tournament will be a carrot for a lot of guys. So how long he hangs around for remains to be seen. But yeah, I I think we want to see that. Right? We, that we want to see that progression in, in 23. I think that's a must for him. Yeah. Um, and look, I don't, I don't have no doubt that we will see a step up from him. He's immensely talented. He's got all the hallmarks of of being the gun golfer that we know that he will be. Let's talk about our mate. Uh, without any disrespect uh, meant to Alejandro Canizares, who also finished at uh, seven under. I really want to talk about Hayden Barrett. Mm. What, uh, yeah, where are we? What a finish. Mm. Uh, was, it, was it an eagle or a birdie? Uh, eagle. eagle. Eagle on the 18th uh, to get himself... Uh, into a 70, even past 70, uh, and jump up into a tie for fourth. And, of course, uh, the top three otherwise not exempt um, to the Open Championship uh, secured their places. And he is one of those. He is off to the Open Championship in 2023, which is a wonderful story. Yeah, fantastic. Um, And that that eagle as well, worth about $20,000. Uh, on the on the eighteenth as well. So that's right. Uh, look, just I'm just really pumped for him. I, I think so, overall, like he, um, you know, he does tune in occasionally to this show um, as well. So we'll, we'll be we'll say only good things. No, but there is only good things to say about Hayden Barron because he's he. Uh, the thing that I love most about him is that he's just a genuinely nice guy. Um, uh, he won the Blitz event. 
um, here almost 12 months ago. And um, obviously, you know, we've had, we've had him on the show and I, I went out to WA golf club and did the interview with him and I've kept in touch. And, and afterwards, like he made sure that I had a beer and we, we all had a chat and, and like, that's just the sort of guy that he is. And, and I think I love seeing good people do good things and, and he's definitely one of those. So to see him, uh, go the way that he's going is really impressive. Um, just steady golf. I mean, the, the back nine was clearly playing a lot tougher and, and he managed to negate that on, on, um, on all three days, had a bit of trouble with the par three 16th as many of, uh, many of the players did, uh, bogeyed that every day, but picked up the shots again on 18. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, I, he's one of my genuine favorite guys to to root for. I think he's he's got a, a great future ahead of him, and yeah, I'm just pumped for him for what he's achieved out of off the back end of this. I think you, you phrased it well. Like, there's nothing flashy about his game. It rinses it off the tee. Like he's a mm. he's a big hitter. Yeah, but you know, it kind of flagged it in our conversation with Waza last week. Increasingly, the higher up you get and the further you go in this game. It's not necessarily about your ceiling. It's about the gap between that and your floor and making sure that's as small as possible. And Hayden Barron strikes me as exactly that. He's a guy that has a really high floor and, a, uh, and an equally high ceiling. So, yeah, yeah he's, he's got a game that's very sustainable. It's, it's rarely um, inconsistent. It's rarely erratic. And I think that's a huge feather in his, in his cap. Moving forward, mm. uh, it will serve him well as he starts to get more of these international opportunities. So, congratulations to to Hayden. I'm sure um, someone will, will certainly seek to have a another chat to prior to the mm. end of the summer. Drew. Yes, yes. Now, I'm conscious. Uh, like, there's we could this could go for three hours. But is is there anyone else really that 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 jumped out at you? Is because there also is an Australian Women's Open we need to speak about. Yes, uh, and we should also touch on the all abilities. So. Is there anyone else from a from men's perspective that jumped out you wanted to mention? Yeah, well, I just wanted to mention Dave Michaluzzi. Um, I, you know, again, a, a, a leading after 36 holes, uh, I think, definitely leading after the first day, it was three shots up, and I'm pretty sure he was leading after 36 holes and then unfortunately fell away with um, with a three-over par and a one-over par on, uh, on the final day. Just the the driver continues to be an issue, um, I think, for, for Micker and some of the ball striking found himself in some really, really awkward spots early in the round. And and that putter, as you've mentioned quite a few times, is is has heated up for him, which is uh, excellent, but it's saving his ass at the moment. So um, he will uh, be no doubt bitterly disappointed with the way that he played over the weekend. Um, he has massive expectations of himself, um, perhaps sometimes unfairly put upon himself, but uh, he um, he... Yeah, he'll be disappointed, no doubt. But um, he finishes. Uh, where did he actually finish? T ten at T10. four. T ten yeah. at four under par. So twenty eight grand in the bank. I'm sure he'll find something to do with his car. Maybe he'll have to get a new exhaust because I believe uh, <laughs> yes. he uh, may have driven. Look, unconfirmed reports may have driven just a touch too quickly over a speed bump, and it was uh, completely ripped off in the Victoria Golf Club car park. So. Uh, Maybe that's what this week's paycheck will be being put towards. Big car guy. would have thought. Huge car guy. 63 on Thursday. That was unbelievable. Oh. Like I, 
I tuned in. I was like, this this bloke, he just will not stop. He's no. just on fire. And then, as you say, yeah, it got the wheels got a little loose um, across the remainder of the weekend. But mm. yeah, his his best golf at the moment is certainly mixing it with the remainder of the field. Pleasingly, it keeps him second, uh, outright second in, in the order of merit. That top well, ten again. <laughs> Is it second? It's really first. I mean, is Cam Smith just irrelevant in this conversation? Like, Smith, Scott, I know they're there for the purpose of yeah. it, but surely, like, Smith, Lee, Scott, and Scrivener are just irrelevant in this conversation. Yeah, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, I tend to agree. Uh, Mick, Mick is still the best part of 300 points behind him, though. So, like, does need to there play be still a, minimum, a bunch of tournaments. And... There should be a minimum number of tournaments you have to play. Tend to think uh, that's a that's a wonderful suggestion. Um, so uh, Hayden Barron, a big mover in the order of merit, he's up in the top ten and out right ninth. Uh, Dan Lawson maintains a good spot there in seventh. Um, our man, the Wizard, twelfth uh, there, just outside the top ten. So look, not too many others I wanted to make mention of. Um, good finish for Lucas Herbert there, also T ten. The same with Mika, uh, Jason Scrivener, obviously. Um, played the lights out of Royal Queensland, uh, finished T18. He's uh, a bunch of shots back there at two under. Matt Ancliffe, someone I, would, I do want to make mention of. He's playing good golf at the moment. We saw we saw this a bit at the back end of the European season, but he played well in Royal Queensland last week. And look, T28's you know still T28, but it's good to see him back playing um, some good golf. He's a, 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 a favourite of this podcast, as we know, as is Dimi Papadados, who is also in a tie for 28th. Um, and then it starts to roll away there. A lot of overpass stuff. Uh, before we move off the men's truths, um, should make mention of Cameron Smith, our order of merit leader. Uh, obviously, great little story. Got through two rounds. Um, we we then had this cut after a third round we were unaware of. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to momentarily. Smithy didn't think he was going to be there, took himself off to the pub, uh, had a few schooners, uh, only to get a text about an early morning tea time uh, because the cut had blown out. So this is a guy's really, I mean, we spoke about, you know, one of the motivating factors for live, spend more time at home, enjoy your time at home. We saw some of the celebrations at the breakfast Creek hotel that came out of the PGA championship victory. Mm. And uh, yeah, he's just clearly in a great headspace at the moment. Very relaxed. Yeah. So, yeah. It's great yep. to see. Good to see. to see. Um, over on the women's side, it was South African Ashley Buhai who won the Australian Women's Open. Uh, just by the one shot in the end, she, was, she had a pretty comfortable lead mm. for a decent part of the final round. Uh, she wins by one in the end, as I said, over G.I. Shin of South Korea. But uh, it's the two Aussies that I want to speak about. No no disrespect to Ashley Buhai. Congratulations to her. Um, I think it's a f- potentially first African winner of the Australian Women's Open as well, so two firsts on the men's and women's side. But uh, the first one I want to speak about, Grace Kim. Oh, Grace. She looks so, so good mm. for 98% of the weekend mm. and doubles. Uh, doubles the 18th. And yeah. that's not the tournament. She finishes three shots back, but certainly didn't help. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> she looks so good that day one. She was oh. the outright leader after the first day and just flushing the ball and, and just and putting just so, so well. And I thought, Wow, like if she can continue this for 
the remaining three days. Like no one's going to catch her at all. And she showed glimpses of that across the rest of it. Round three, I think she was a couple under par um, overall. But yeah, just a couple of costly errors at, at bad times for Grace. But again, like we're talking about such a young talent, and and yeah, we've got we know that she's going to be an incredible, incredible golfer in, in years to come. And I'm sure this experience will only uh, only add to what she's going to give back to Aussie golf in the next few years. 100%. I mean, she's had a great year playing over a bunch of tournaments on the Symmetra Tour, which is the feeder tour to the LPGA. Um, I think it's a matter of when, not if, and I think it'll be very soon that she makes that jump up to the LPGA. Uh, she's She's played well again. Today, first day of the Cathedral, I think she only wanted to off uh, Louis Dobler's lead there at Cathedral Lodge. So clearly he's what the disappointment often got straight back into it uh, a day later. Mm-hmm. But I think it's telling, right? You look at this, um, round four scores. So Buhai, the winner's one over. Uh, Shin in second, three over. Hannah Green in third at two over. Uh, Grace Kim is the only member of the top four um, to be uh, even par. Uh, and yep. she's had done that with a double on 18. So, yep. like, she was right there um, mm-hmm. and uh, played incredibly well. So, Hannah Green, obviously, as I said, she finishes at 10 under. Some great goal from her. Minji Lee um, in fifth uh, at eight under a shot behind Grace Kim. Um, some good names here, too, Drew. It's like we got Soyon Rue um, was in the field. She's a couple of shots back at six under. Jennifer Cupshow from America was there. As well, but uh, worth mentioning a few other Aussies. Steph Kiriakou, great friend of this podcast, in tie for eighth at five under. Cassie Porter um, was alongside Cup Shot one under, uh, and it goes on and on. But great to see um, a tight finish in the women's. We would have loved to have seen one of those Kim Green Lee someone get over the line, but uh, much like the men's, it was a slightly deflating finish. Mm. Uh, albeit a nod to the international flavour. So, congratulations to Ashley Buhai. Anything else out of the women's? No, nah, no, not really. I just Hannah Green. I think like yeah, it was just so tough. I mean, two doubles on that front nine on on the final day just really took the wind out of the sails early, and and then to finish with a birdie on on nine and, and make the turn three over. It was kind of like, this is going to be an uphill battle, but if there's anyone out there that can maybe do it, it's going to be her and then bogeyed 10 straight away. And and I know she finished birdie birdie, but yeah, it was disappointing um, for, for Hannah. And I know that she'll be disappointed within herself as well, but um, yeah, she's only two shots back and, and didn't play that well over the last couple of days. So um, yeah, she's going to win one of these, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. Uh, Dreads, and then in the all abilities, uh, young Englishman by the name of Kip Poppet, who is the number one all abilities player in the world. He takes the tournament, comes down and gets the job done. Um, you may not have seen it. Um, and for any of our listeners who haven't, uh, jump on and further proof that uh, the European tour is without peer when it comes to content. Uh, it's embarrassing some of the stuff the PGA Tour puts out comparatively from a content perspective. Uh, not all that long ago, probably two or three months, the European Doer did about a 15-minute video uh, on their YouTube channel with Kip Poppet and telling his story as the number one all-abilities player in the world, and it is a phenomenal piece of content. So I would highly recommend taking the 15 minutes to get to know Kip Poppet. Um, yeah, sensational golfer in his own Wonderful to see 
Um, wonderful to see the All Abilities Championship played currently alongside the men's and women's. I know we've got some things to discuss before that and, and some stuff uh, to to work through in terms of making all three work at the same time. But as a uh, as a concept, I thought it, it did show some wonderful things about the game of golf across the weekend. Yeah, I mean... Look, I've been toying with this sort of back and forth for a little while, um, and and it's it's a, it's fantastic to see all three work together. I I think what probably the expectation was of what from a, I think it ties into the broadcast. What I th- expected to see and what I did see were two very different things in terms of the the tournament and how it was then broadcast into. Obviously, the men's stuff, you, you you had so much content being pumped out and then it was the women's and then you just had like a couple of all ability shots here and like this, and it was just, it felt really disjointed is probably the best way that I can describe it. So be interesting to see how they play this moving forward. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're going to pivot, I think, to the... Mm-hmm. To the the critical feedback, I think you'd call it uh, just observations. Moment, but yeah, I, well, I read an interesting observation. We'll call it that. Um, in the sense that selling this tournament was probably far more appealing commercially to have the three tournaments running concurrently at the same time because it offers really, when you think about it. Uh, a wonderful commercial platform for a sponsor or sponsors to put their name to mm-hmm. as a concept mm-hmm. um, in execution. I think some holes and there's certainly an argument to be heard that in fact, playing them all at the same time uh, takes the shine off all three and dilutes the product, uh, which yeah, I, I do hear that argument uh, and, yeah. and do um, in many respects tend to agree. Well, I think the execution was – they executed it fine. It's just how mm. – it, it's just the product that was then delivered is yeah. is detrimental to the overall product of, of the game. Um, yeah, I thought like the broadcast for me, obviously like I, I wasn't able to be on the ground. So I'm relying on the broadcast to – to watch our biggest event that we have. Yep. Um, our national open, very excited to see it. And like I alluded to it before, it was, it just seems like an advertising campaign for visit Victoria. Like yeah. the, the amount of ads, the, the, even in the, there was a post round interview with Hannah green. And the first two questions she got asked was how great it was to be playing in Victoria and how great are these Victorian crowds? Like, I just I don't understand that. Like it in a and and I think you know you and I have probably spoken about this offline more than we have online. Like, but in a year where it is so important to get people on side with, with the game of golf, like I felt like this was a step backwards for people yep. that couldn't be in Victoria. Yeah, I think so. There's probably some some primary criticisms here. Um, I think it's worth noting that you and I both felt, but we also felt as though 
we found a community. I don't think we were oh. we were Robinson Crusoe in our feelings. It would be fair to say, um, mm. based on some of the uh, the feedback uh, online. Mm-hmm. So a few things. Um, I suppose the inflexibility to cover anybody outside of like a featured three or four groups. Um, incredibly frustrating. I mean, you made the point and and did so via our channels about um, Mika being in the lead uh, on Friday, was it? We missed his last yeah. two. Last three holes. holes. Yeah. Last three holes entirely, which seems absurd. Like that's that's your tournament leader. Um, he just didn't happen to fall in a friendly group for the cameras. Uh, we had uh, across the weekend, like Saturday and Sunday, the two biggest days, we were missing the first few holes of our final groups because of the time at which the broadcast was starting, which makes absolutely no sense to me. Like the the broadcast is running on Channel 9. Yes, as the free-to-air broadcast partner. And sure, there are some constraints around programming when it comes to free-to-air. But the product's also running on KO, uh, which literally is a streaming platform. Like there is no excuse that cameras wouldn't be running for 12 hours a day on KO on that tournament. And I'm not suggesting you bring in your top tier talent to commentate for 12 hours a day because we know that's not how it works. But like, look at, I'm also not suggesting we're in the same ballpark. Look at how the Masters do it. Mm. The Masters literally have featured groups, featured holes. They've got like eight different commentary teams over Augusta National. So if you want to, like if you need to have a neat packaged four-hour product, Sure, bring your, your your big hitters in for that, but there's no excuse not to run a camera for 12 hours on a streaming platform. There's no other content going on KO, mm. literally. Mm. Like, I just do not understand why we were missing final groups. Like, that's absurd. They're not mm. starting until like midday. That's yep. wild. Oh, and like that's, I think that's the stuff that. You know, I was sitting there on Friday, Arvo had a TV on in the background and I was like, like Mick is playing good golf. Like he's rallied, he's, he's, he's pushing on. And then like, sort of like a highlights package started and some overlay music. And, and then they were like, and that's all from the Australian open. And I was like, hold on, like, we're not finished. <laughs> what like, <do> you mean? <laughs> like, it's like the broadcast finishing halfway through the final quarter in it. In yeah. really like the grand final, this is our grand final, and that's actually not a stupid thing to say. People go, "Oh, yeah, good one." It's actually that's it's it's quite a good analogy. Like it, yeah. it was like I was both baffled and and probably a bit angry as a golf fan as well. Like I was, mm. yeah, and and then to have the broadcast start after the leaders have teed off. It just makes it makes no sense at all, and and I don't know. There's clearly got to be a reason behind it, but both parties have agreed to the tea times. Uh, sorry, both parties have agreed to the broadcast time starting at this time, and yet the schedule has not been fit in around the broadcast. Like mm. it, it's yeah, I, I'm I'm confused by it. And I know that we we are in the majority. I mean, you've just got to look, you've got to look at social media. The we were inundated with messages on Instagram. I, in 
in, I don't, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 plus, plus you have a look at social media's commentary. Every, every post that the tour has put up has been whacked with the broadcast product. And, and I think it's really frustrating because from all reports, the on-ground experience at, at Vic was fantastic. Like they had a little fan village set up and, and everything. And that looked, looked like a lot of fun and it looked great, but unfortunately the product, I, that was probably maybe like two or 3% of their overall viewership was the people on the ground. The broadcast product alienated so many people and it, it's a very, very difficult job to broadcast a golf tournament because it is spread out so much. But I almost wonder if we set ourselves up for failure by Firstly, running this across two courses, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sold on that being the way forward. I know the first two days, like we only had two days at, at Kingston Heath, but I'm not a hundred percent sold on that being the way moving forward. But I understand that if we're going to run the Australian Open, the Women's Australian Open, and the All Abilities, we've probably got to run it over two tournaments. So, I, I yeah. I think the fans are in between a rock and a hard place on this one and the, and the tour has ultimately got to make a decision on where they see value in this mm. um, and whether that's the the broadcast or the in-person experience. And, and I don't like, I'm talking from my perspective as being a TV viewer. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, right? Like you and I both listen to some uh, American based golf content and i feel as though we have finally um, just by virtue of the fact we haven't really had much going on mm. <laughs> domestically for three years we finally are feeling the frustrations of those uh, viewing the pga tour based in america because i always find the criticism of the pga tours ad schedule a little weird because i actually think the coverage we get here in australia mm. is quite good yeah, of the PGA yeah, yeah. Tour. um and uh, not to sound all highbrow but there may be some intricacies here that many of our listeners don't understand in the sense that when you're watching a tournament domestically, whether it's us watching the Australian Open or an American living in America watching a PGA Tour event, the broadcast you watch is different to what those overseas watch because uh, they split the feed. So there is a world feed or an international feed that's taken and then bought. So um, Foxtel or KO buys the rights to show the international feed of PGA Tour events domestically here in Australia. Whereas the the network, uh, be it CBS or NBC, um, sometimes Fox shows the golf in America. So we take different feeds, right? It's exactly what's happened here because if you if you listen to as I have um, a bunch of people internationally, uh, particularly in America, tuning in to the Australian Open over the weekend, and as I said at the top, singing the praises, wonderful advertisement of Sandbelt, certainly no complaints about missing starts or finishes certainly no complaints about ad schedules certainly no complaints about having victoria rammed down their throat so i finally feel as though i'm i am i understand because mm-hmm. what we've been served domestically ironically is a far inferior broadcast product than what people around the world were experiencing of our international tournament um i only say that because i was very interested you and i kind of spoke about this before we record tonight very interested to read uh, you and Porter, who I think it, it should be said before we speak about this, uh, does an exceptional job. Now, we're fortunate to have some wonderful golf commentators who are 
internationally experienced. Ports is one. Uh, Ali Whitaker is another who does a wonderful uh, job when she comes home, primarily on the European tour. She works and she does come home for summer events. Ali's excellent. Um, we have some that are domestically based and get trotted out for summer events, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I do and can appreciate, you know, as a rusted on fan, the difference of someone who travels the world to do it. And Ports is one of those. Ports has been excellent with his on course commentary. Um, I think he provides a wonderful insight. Um, clearly was probably aware, if not acutely aware, of the feedback that the broadcast was getting because wakes up this morning. Twitter's telling me this is 12 hours ago. So this is, you know, 8 or 9 a.m. in the morning. Mm. Um, jumps on Twitter across two tweets. Uh, thoughts on at Oz Open Golf from someone inside the ropes and with some knowledge and commercial responsibilities. Um, great crowds, wonderful courses, and terrific golf. Positives far outweigh the negatives. Production is hamstrung due to four by three minute ad breaks per hour, plus tourism promos and other packages. Missed way too many critical shots due to this, and most of it was in delay. This is Australia's greatest golf tournament for both genders and deserves the best. Fingers crossed it's all ironed out for 2023. Then, uh, some nine hours later, um, jumps back on. The past four months I've commentated for at PGA Tour, at DP World Tour, at LPGA and at PGA of Australia speaking to his international bona fides, as we just mentioned. I love the game, and there's currently a lot of traction for golf golf globally, men and women. Selfishly, I want to see Australian golf on everyone's radar and deliver a world-class product every time. Fascinating. Um, mm. Really appreciate Orts' honesty. Don't expect anything less from him. But it's clear to me that uh, those part of the broadcast team probably felt... Uh, the feedback, I would suggest, to the point at which Orts um, felt the need to clarify a few things, which we don't often see. Well, uh, first and foremost, and I probably should have prefaced my conversation with this, like the commentary team and everyone involved in, in terms of Nico Hearn and, and the guys and Gowie and, and everyone involved did a fantastic job across all four days. Yeah. I thought they were excellent and they have been all year there. What they deliver in terms of color commentary and talking us through the golf course is is fantastic it's second to none i guess my frustration and and i was just scrolling through then as you were talking like the page the, the tours instagram the tours facebook it's just lit up with comments people being like it, it was a horrible horrible coverage you've got the for the first time back in two years we had the australian open and it was something that we'd been looking forward to for so long and just to see it delivered in that manner was really disappointing. And yeah. there is no doubt that Ports and Nico Hearn and the rest of the rest of the team would have jumped on social media and and seeing the commentary because it's everywhere. We're not we're not in the minority here, like banging our fucking fists on the desk, going like this isn't good enough. It wasn't good enough for Nathan and Kieran. <laughs> We may have been in the past, but I don't feel like we are here now. No, like <laughs> I just, yeah, I I came away after the PGA last week. I was like, this is going to be a really interesting two weeks of golf. And it's going to be, as we've spoken about this, this is one of the most important summers that we've had for such a long time for the game. And after the PGA came in and we, we did this show and I was like, we're on track. Like this is looking really, really good. And then we had our biggest event that was maybe hamstrung in and of itself 
by the format that we rolled out, as I said, across two different courses with three different competitions. And maybe we're trying to get too much done in 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 not enough time. Um and yeah, I I yeah, I I feel let down as a fan because I'm like, how how can you end the broadcast before your leader has finished its his round of golf? How can you start the broadcast after the leaders of the Australian Open are on the second hole and go, oh, just in case you missed it, here's Adam Scott teeing off on one. It's like, no, it's just not acceptable yeah. as a golf fan. Yeah. Like, like it's, <laughs> and I agree with you. Like we're finally, we're finally understanding what some of these American fans have got. And it's just like, we as golf fans are one of, if not the most important stakeholder in the game. Um, mm. Like we, we we and it, and it felt like we weren't treated like that over the weekend and yeah i'm really disappointed now i don't know if it's a fox thing i don't know if it's a ko thing i don't know if it's a golf australia thing or the tours thing like i don't know where the blame lies but someone's got to have got to come together to get an answer for it for next year i think i think also what made it really frustrating for me uh, and look i acknowledge certainly there are some stark differences in the delivery of the Australian PGA and the delivery of the Australian Open. Primarily the fact that it's three tournaments running at the same time and over two courses. Difficult. Get it. But like it wasn't as if we were given any forewarning. The coverage of the PGA was excellent. Mm. Like this kind of just came out of the blue. It wasn't like we were sitting here last week saying, oh geez, you know, Coverage could have been a bit better. I hope that's not what's going to happen again this week down in Victoria. Mm. And it was like we just got blindsided by it. Mm. And to your point, there's a lot of people at the table. Um, you've got a hybrid broadcast deal for starters between a free-to-air provider and a streaming service. Um, which is tricky. Which, you and I have both worked in – we've worked in absolutely. a sport where, where that's the case. Absolutely. It's difficult. It's not easy because – both want different things and both feel as though they are as important as each other. Um, ultimately, though, there is a party on the other side that accepts a deal. And it's that constant balance between do we accept for the sake of having a product on television? I guarantee, like, I guarantee you the lure and the carrot of nine would have been extraordinary like to have this on free-to-air television on saturday and sunday is an enormous enormous win for the for the administration agree so i've also got no doubt that there would have been some allowances made some sacrifices made in the interest of that to get it across the line and a very strict window of time that nine willing to broadcast golf across four hours perfectly fine no worries keep coming back to how is it possible to miss any shot mm. when your other partner is a streaming service? There is no competition for space. Bang a camera out there for 12 hours a day and hit record. I, I, I cannot fathom how it's possible we miss shots mm-hmm. with KO as the other partner. Just can't. It, anything gets on KO. Yeah. Like, literally anything can get on KO at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we probably should pick up the phone. We could be able to stream this one, Kay, if we wanted probably. to. Probably. We could. At a price. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I cannot for the life of me understand 
how every show is not okay. Makes mm-hmm. no sense. No. No sense at all. And look, I think, like, and I I just come back to the initial decision that it's, did we try and bite off more than we can chew in terms of a product in trying to roll out three tournaments, but then three tournaments across two courses? Because mm. I found Thursday and Friday really jarring to watch. I don't know. I don't know about you. Like, it was like, oh, we're at Kingston Heath. Oh, we're at Victoria. We're at Kingston Heath. We're at Victoria. Like, it was really difficult for me to go, like, I can't get a fucking visual of the course. Like, I, I can't understand it. Like, mm. yeah, so, so I don't know. Personally, I would just love to see it be at one golf course because I just think it makes total sense. But if you do that, you probably can't run three tournaments at once. And no. I, I think it's a, it's a great thing for the game to have every everyone – in the one place, but yeah, it's, it, it's really, really tricky. And mm. I think the tour has probably got a decision to make ahead of next year, um, whether they want to yeah. keep this current format. I mean, it's not, we are at the mercy in many respects of the PGA, you know, this tournament went up against, um, Tigers tournament and was it Barbados or Bermuda? Which one? Oh. Barbados. Oh, See, I don't even know. Yeah. Like, but it went up against Tiger's tournament, so there's very few people saying no to Tiger who get invited to that. Um, it's not a great time for the LPGA. They've literally just wrapped up their season. Like, women are trying to have a little bit of time off. I've seen a bit of commentary that the ideal time from an LPGA perspective would be February, um, in order to get some more names down. I mean, you know, we had some names. Obviously, Hannah came home. Minji was here. That's Quality, quality players. Soyon Ru, as I said, Jennifer Cup show was here. Um, but like, if we put it in February, are we a chance to get Nelly Quarter in B Park? You know, Lydia Ko. If we are, then surely that's better than playing it concurrently with the men. That must be better mm. to get the best women's players in the world here. We had it a couple of years ago down Adelaide. It was a great tournament on its own, huge field. So, like, I like the concept. It's wonderful in in theory and in principle to play all three alongside each other. But we keep coming back to field. It's got to be about field. Field before anything else. And, yeah, things will free up with the changes in the PGA Tour from next year. And maybe we know that, you know, um, they're looking at, you know, having that time off the end of the year, which which gives people the freedom to travel and take time off. And maybe that's a better chance for us. But, yeah, I... What we got, I don't think, lived up to the expectations of what we had. I think that would be the 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 simplest way to put it. And whilst I applaud the tour for pioneering an event where men, women, and all abilities players play all at the same time, uh, I, I do believe in format, in broadcast, and in probably a few other places, some significant learnings. Um, from this year, yeah, uh, yeah, you've probably summed that up pretty well, and they'll, and they'll no doubt do it. And look, like all in all, I'm going to continue to watch the broadcast because the broadcast of the first five tournaments of the year has been fantastic. It's been excellent. excellent. Like the WA Open, the WA PGA was basically uninterrupted coverage from from first tee shot that it started to to the very end. Um. So I will continue to watch. Absolutely. But yeah, it's just, it, 
there's there's definitely learnings from it for our biggest tournament that in such a massive year it does feel like a bit of a letdown and and like the tour has done an, an a incredible incredible job of putting on this year's schedule and and you know the players that we've spoken to both online here and and offline um, have all said that the tour have done a great job of of getting the the tournaments to where they are now um it may be just I agree with you. Feels like a little bit of a letdown for our biggest tournament, given how much it was hyped up to be. Given that we hadn't had it for two years, um, so yeah, I don't know. I just I come away a little disappointed, um, having obviously missed some key stuff in in terms of the broadcast. Um, but yeah, I'm sure it'll be. I'm sure some changes will be made for for 2023. I say all of that and, and wait with bated breath to see how the Cathedral Invitational is broadcast tomorrow on KO. So, well, yeah, will, I mean, fascinating. It will be very interesting because it's the same production company, right? It's GMTV. So it'll be very interesting to see um, how, and obviously very different, one-day tournament, one course, mm. limited field, affords them a lot more flexibility and opportunities, but you'd like to think maybe some immediate feedback. Um, well. I mean, again, like, well, you've you've just kind of answered all the questions there. It's going to come back to format, right? Like, if if the format doesn't work from a broadcast perspective, then we've got to change the format. As shitty as that might be, that's maybe that's possibly the answer. I I don't know. I don't know. I think yeah, the, all well, the party yeah. all the parties have to come together to to have a discussion. But I think importantly in that and unfortunately the people that won't have a voice in that are the fans um because yeah. it will come down what? to commercial revenue and and whatever and you can't involve fans in those conversations because it's too difficult anyway but it's too emotional i i think like the fan is often the person that is left so far out of the conversation in in yeah. all broadcast negotiations yeah. but they play such an integral role yeah, oh, look, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it earlier. Wonderful, wonderful crowds across both courses, across you know all four days. Mm. The reality is that those crowds are um, a, a minute proportion of the broader audience of that tournament. Mm. And the other reality is is that irrespective of whether it's all three tournaments played at the same time or not, those people are still turning up. Yeah, because they're there to see their favourite player. They're Turning up, whether it's all three at the same time or all three played separately, they're still turning up to the tournament to see the person they went there to see. So you probably should look after the people that are tuning in the television. Yeah. Be fascinating to watch. And and again, like I'll, I'll say it again, I give credit to the tour for what they've done this year. I mean, oh, you, and I, you and I had have, have been, I don't know, we'd probably been skeptical before the season started as to what we were kind of going to get in terms of, given the importance of 2022 slash 23, all the changes that are happening globally in the, in the golfing landscape, what we'd heard in terms of rumors of things changing and, and everything. And yeah, I, they've, they've had a fantastic, fantastic year. And, um, but I come away a little disappointed from the Australian open. It's, that's just where I'm at right now. And, you got Gippsland Super Six this week, which you know is you know isn't my favourite tournament on the schedule. And then we have uh, then we have a break and we come back for the second half of the year, which is going to be massive because we get into the TPS events and and the New Zealand stuff. And 
um, yeah, some really cool stuff on the other side of the break. So should be excellent, Drew. Thoroughly, thoroughly looking forward to uh, the second half of the season post the Christmas break. That'll probably do us. Um, you summed it up well, my friend, as you always do. Uh, congratulations again to Adrian Monk. Uh, wonderful couple of days of golf. Uh, we look forward to keeping an eye on the Cathedral Invitational tomorrow. Um, if you're listening to this Monday night, if you're not, it'll already be one and done. So <laughs> that's uh, redundant. Uh, give us that Super 60 say, and then I'll do a bit of a break. So look, uh, TBC on the schedule for this podcast in the yes. next couple of weeks. Uh, we're, we're, we're about to have a, a five minute uh, conversation off the back of this. Yeah. this when are we going on annual leave? What I would say is, uh, you'll hear us when you hear us. Yes. I think it would be the, the the best possible way to describe it. So, big going on um, <laughs> in the personal lives of both yes. of us. So, yeah, uh, TBC. But yeah, stay tuned. I'm sure there'll be something in the near future. Post this <laughs> on your dreads. Thanks, mate.